Excellent. Thanks for listening to the inaugural episode of Healthcare 360, a podcast here from BILH. Uh, my name is Rob Fields. I'm a family doc and the chief clinical officer for BILH. And I'm excited to be joined by the CEO, Dr. Kevin Tabb, um, who's going to join us in a conversation today. Uh, there's nothing going on, right, Kevin? Nothing going on in healthcare right now? Quiet times in yeah. healthcare, for sure. We're, yeah. yeah, we're just chilling out. Uh, but before we get started, Kevin, if you can tell us a little bit about your kind of journey to CEO and why you decided to take on this crazy challenge of being a CEO in a large system. Well, you know, I'm happy to talk about that. But I guess I want to start by saying welcome. It is great to have you here, Rob. Um, I uh, We're really excited that you have joined us in a new role here, right? The this concept of a chief clinical officer really helping us think through all of the different clinical issues that we have in front of us every day is uh, incredibly important. Uh, you are the first one to fill that role. And um, again, I, I want to say thank you. Rob and I are sitting here in his office and I'm looking at a Gators football helmet and I'm thinking, he needs to get with BC or something oh, right. else. I, I, yeah. um, but I we'll, we'll talk get, about that I knew later. I was going to get some flack for yeah. that. I appreciate the kind words, Kevin, but um, no, we're ex- I'm excited to be here. Great. Good. So the question was... How did you land in this place? Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of things in life, or at least for me, uh, none of this was planned. Um, I'm a physician by training. I'm an internist. Um, I, Although I grew up in this country, I left home at the age of 17 and moved to Israel, uh, moved on my own, and I didn't go to college. I went into the military there, uh, which is what most people do at the age of 18. Um, I was trained as a medic, and that's how I fell into medicine. Mm. I I don't come from a family of physicians. Mm -hmm. I never imagined that I wanted to be a doc. Um, In fact... I'm pretty, people tell me that I'm pretty argumentative, so everybody <laughs> guessed that I would be a lawyer. Um, but no, I, I, I fell in love with taking care of people, actually. And um, really, uh, in some ways, feel that medicine chose me rather than the other way around. And so when I finished my uh, military service, um, decided that that's what I wanted to mm-hmm. do, uh, became, uh, went, went, went to medical school in Israel, um, In Israel, like in many places, say, in Europe, you go directly into medical school or law school or whatever it is that you choose. And so I did a a uh, six-year program in medicine there and then did my residency there also. And um, got interested in moving beyond uh, taking care of individual patients, which I enjoyed, but I wanted the ability to do more than that, right. to, to have a broader effect. And so I got interested in computers in medicine, actually, and thinking about how I could uh, affect and have an effect on, on, on populations. And so um, I, I moved on and really moved out of clinical medicine at some point and a bunch of different startups in healthcare IT, ended up many years later uh, at Stanford University at the medical center there, uh, as a chief medical information officer and chief medical officer, ultimately. And then almost 12 years ago, I got recruited for the job uh, here in Boston. Mm-hmm. In many ways, it has been a, a wonderful match, a, wonder, a, a perfect fit for me, at least. Right. Um, the uh, Boston is, and the greater uh, area, the Eastern Massachusetts, really 
is what I call the mecca uh, of healthcare. People right. come from all over the world uh, to get their care here, to train here, uh, to work here in healthcare. And this is the place. And so I, I was incredibly honored to be considered many years ago for mm-hmm. this position uh, and never looked back. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad uh, that we made that my wife and I and kids moved out here uh, again more than a decade ago. And yeah. uh, it's just been an incredibly exciting journey. Yeah. And I mean, none of those moves are hard. It's always like you never know what you're going to find or where, what you're going to, what situation you're going to find yourself in. And in all of those experiences, do you think now is perhaps the hardest time in healthcare that you've experienced thus far? I think um, it's interesting. I get asked a version of that question a lot. Now is a very difficult time in healthcare for many of our providers, right? For mm-hmm. the people who are working in the hospitals, in our clinics, on the front lines uh, every day. When I think back over my entire career, there have been numerous points when all of us have felt like this is the most difficult time, and <laughs> right. then it gets ratcheted up. It's like uh, I always have the most difficult patients. It's kind that, of the same thing. <laughs> that's exactly right. There are, though, I think, some pretty unique uh, elements of the uh, of the difficulty of this current moment in healthcare. But I want to say something else. While it is true that there are unprecedented challenges right now in healthcare, in the things that we need to do, in the things that our people face every day, it is also true that there is more opportunity now for change right. uh, than we have ever seen. And again, if what you truly care about is affecting significant change, now's the time. Now's the time. Sure. Now's the time. Because if you, if you think about when in history have we gotten change in healthcare, it's, it's frequently um, in, in times of real need. Right. No one would argue that we are in a time of real need. <laughs> Absolutely. I wonder if you agree with this sort of sentiment. As much as the pandemic was taxing and there there was unbelievable cost, perhaps immeasurable cost, not just financially, but on just humanity in general and on the healthcare workforce specifically, there was this I think what a lot of us that went through it have observed that, that the singular focus on one condition, first of all, may never happen again in our lifetime. It was really unusual. But the, the sense of focus made some things a lot easier in terms of running a complex system. Do, do you think that that's true, or at, at least in part? Um, well, I, I guess I'd start by saying I will never again predict what will and won't happen in the future. So I don't know whether there will be another time like that because I wouldn't have guessed that this time would have happened. Fair enough. Um, I I do agree that at the height of the first wave, when there was tremendous tragedy all Mm -hmm. around us and when it felt unrelenting, there was also a singular sense of purpose. I'm very hesitant to call it a silver lining because the pain that people went through and felt and feel to this day uh, was real. Yeah. And, um, you know, can't and shouldn't be minimized at all. I do think that it galvanized us all Mm -hmm. uh, to work together to overcome what felt like on some days, I imagine, for many people who were on the front line, insurmountable challenges. Mm -hmm. And... 
what I uh, absolutely know uh, is that our proudest moments were when our people came together and and people in healthcare around the world, not just uh, within BILH, but I know within BILH, right. came together to to overcome things we never could have imagined we, we would face. And it is harder now because we are now facing what I sometimes call an acute on chronic condition. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's one thing when you're dealing with an issue that you believe that you hope will be temporary in nature, and then we'll go back to doing things the way that we did them. Mm -hmm. I think we've all now recognized that we're not going to go back to doing things the way that we did them. And we're going to have to figure out a new way to do things, and that's hard, particularly given the fact that we haven't yet figured out what that better new way is. We just know that things are changing. Absolutely. The, for BILA specifically, there was the additional challenge of just forming as a system in the year prior to the pandemic. So you had the additional complexity of trying to figure out uh, or build in a culture and identity as a brand new system not too long before the pandemic hit. Right? It was right at a year, it feels like almost, right? And and now uh, I, I've heard you say multiple times, and I know even for myself entering in this role, we're now coming to grips with that complexity you just referred to, the, the acute on chronic condition, as a really a new system still in lots of ways. Can you talk about that, how you think about that at, a, at the highest level and what you hope comes out of what maybe the lessons learned might be that might be applicable now? Yeah, that that's very true. Just as a reminder to all the listeners, we came together almost exactly a year to the day before uh, the global pandemic hit. And mergers are always hard. And we planned many, many things around the merger. Sure. <laughs> did we did plan not a plan a global <laughs> pandemic, and yet it happened. Right. The effects, uh, we're still feeling those effects to this day, and I think we will be feeling them for a generation at least. We alluded to the fact a moment ago that having a singular purpose uh, galvanized our community uh, in lots of ways. It galvanized mm -hmm. us to provide, to be the best that we could be, to provide all yep. of the things that we needed to provide. It also galvanized us to work together to break down silos more quickly, in fact, even than you would typically see in a merger. And that, uh, that was really uh, heartening uh, to see and to experience. It, though, uh, had some uh, less positive effects. Any new system that you create requires uh, things to be put in place, infrastructure, processes. We need to develop collectively a new culture. And all of that got delayed, naturally. We put everything aside and said, we're going to focus on the crisis at hand. And, and of course, there that was the only response that we could have given. But that meant that all of this basic building blocks that you need to put in place in order to have a good, strong, well-functioning system uh, were delayed. Mm -hmm. And we're now working on putting those things in place. But we're four years old. I guess I would consider four is a little older than a toddler. I don't think we're a toddler even. We're the equivalent to a one-and-a-half-year-old um, because 
for three of those four years, we were right. just, air quotes around the word just, dealing with a pandemic. And now we're working on all of those things that other more seasoned systems have in place. That's natural. Yeah. And uh, it takes time. Yeah, and it's hard. And it's hard. It's hard. After the pandemic, as there are so many economic challenges all over, and multiple sectors, healthcare being no different, um, whether it's supply chain, labor, et cetera, et cetera, all those challenges, we saw many leaders across the industry leave. CEOs, CFOs, in particular, others leave. But I think, by all accounts, you know, your leadership really helped the system get through the pandemic and continue to evolve right to that next phase. Not everyone survived that. Can you talk a little about what makes a leader thrive under these kinds of conditions and allow to, a system to continue? Well, for, I guess in some ways I feel like I'm lucky to be along for the ride. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think that it's about a single person or a single person as a leader that got us through. It's about the thousands of people that are that make up this organization, make us who we are, um, and and have done and are doing all of the things uh, that are necessary. When you, when I think about what my role is, I think about a couple of different things. First of all, it's understanding the really good ideas. They don't come out of a corner office in Cambridge. They come from the people who are actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my job is to hear lots of different things and try to remove barriers from making the important things happen, from the good ideas that come from the people who actually do the work. And a subset of that is to help bring focus, to help bring focus to us as an organization uh, and to the collective leadership team overall. You can't do everything. I know that I personally can't do everything, but I think as an organization, you can't do everything. And sometimes as you get bigger, organizations fall in the trap of trying to do everything, to be all things to all right. people, to solve every problem and every crisis. Right. And when you try to do that, you end up not doing anything, anything. very yeah. well. And so one of the things that I try to do as a leader is to help us focus on those things that are most important. Yeah. Of all the challenges, I know that we have talked about focus. One of the major focus areas is workforce because one of the many challenges, all health systems, well, every, almost every industry, but uh, again, healthcare, again, has faced particular pressures around workforce and and focusing for one second on nursing, I know it's not exclusive to nursing, but nursing has been a big part of it. And we uh, obviously depend a great deal on nurses in all facets of our business and nursing leadership and are making concrete steps to in really include nurse leaders and even at the executive level, as you know. Uh, how do you see that playing out? What, what do we need to think about as a system to both support our, nurse, our nurses that are already here better and... And I know as we've discussed, what do you think of the long-term strategies to help us kind of solve the, the gap problem we've got in the workforce? Well, I, I want to reiterate something you, you just said a moment ago before I answer the question, um, which is that we have a lot of people in this organization that do play lots of different roles and play lots of important different roles. And nurses are central to and incredibly important what we do. 
And they are not the only ones who are important and not the only ones that we will need to respond to around these issues of uh, changes in the workforce and pipeline and um, uh, issues of burnout. Uh, So as we address the issues of nursing, I want to make sure that we expand the view and understand that those things that our, our nurses face every day, some of those things are absolutely unique, and some of those things, we got a lot of people that are facing similar things, and, and so we, we need to be thinking about our entire workforce. The common uh, thread to all of this is the very job that people do has changed over time. Mm-hmm. And the things that we are asking of people, the things that the public is asking of people, has changed over time. And in healthcare in general, we have not yet fully understood that and fully evolved to addressing those issues. You know, at the simplest level, things like the fact that there's a lot of anger out there right now and that our nurses and others are subject to um, sometimes on a daily basis abuse Mm -hmm. and um, even physical violence. I think that, you know, that might always have been true to a certain degree, but it's at a whole nother level. And um, it makes the job that much harder. Mm -hmm. And so what we've seen is a variety of different things. We've seen um, people dig in and, and, uh, and double down on, on um, staying where they are and doing what they know to do. But we've seen others say, I'm done. I can't do this at all. I don't mm-hmm. want to stay in healthcare. And then we've seen others say, I just can't do it as much as I did it before. And I think that, and part of this is generational also, uh, there is a clearly stated desire for more flexibility and uh, some level of control over your own life. That's hard in a big organization that is complicated and has lots of needs, but it's a reality of what people want. We in healthcare are gonna have to figure out how to allow for more flexibility and how to allow for people to have more control over their own lives, work lives and uh, professional lives. That's not how healthcare has traditionally been. Healthcare has traditionally worked in, in sort of telling people, here's where you show up, here's what you do, and right. uh, here's how you're going to do it. Right. And we will still be doing some of that. It is still healthcare, and it is still, but we're going to have to figure out this issue of flexibility and autonomy differently than we have figured it out before. And I think that is at the heart of some of the changes that are going to have to occur. Yeah. In the in the time we have left, I'm going to switch to a, another sort of workforce topic is uh, is, and I'm going to take speaker's prerogative here or moderator's prerogative on primary care. I'm a family doc, and I know one of the priorities that you specifically have had as CEO, but the system has had broadly, is how we also support our primary care physicians as a critical part of our system. We have a strategic goal of being out in the community uh, even more than we already have been, uh, which I, th- I think we've been a leader in that space. But I sometimes think about what do we need to have B, uh, BILH be a destination place for primary care in, in Boston? And what, if you can share some thoughts on, on that, or both on 
your your vision for that and, and maybe talk about your feelings on the importance of primary care for our success? Well, I, I can talk a little bit about the importance, and then I'm going to turn the tables. So um, I think it's a oft-repeated cliche, but it's an oft-repeated cliche because it's true that primary care is the front door mm-hmm. of um, of any of, of healthcare. So that's said a lot. I don't know if people mean it always when they say it. It is true, right? When you look at our system right now, as it exists, and I'm just speaking of the current state, the facts, we, we are a large system with um, uh, very complex academic medical centers that provide really uh, complex high-end care. We have community hospitals. We have um, ambulatory sites. We have physician offices. We have all of those different pieces. There are other systems out there around the country that are similar in composition. We're a little bit unique. Um, More than 55% of the care that we currently provide is care that is provided in the community, outside of our academic medical centers. Mm -hmm. That's not common. When you look at most academic-based healthcare systems, Usually about 75% of the care is provided in the high-end, expensive, right. um, sometimes difficult to access sites. We're different. We're, we, we're more balanced. And we have committed to moving even further in that direction because that's where healthcare is going. And so uh, we, we believe uh, that over the next decade, uh, as much as 70% of the care actually Mm-hmm. will be provided by us uh, out in the community. Primary care is the key to to all of that, is, is at the center of all of that. Now, how we're going to uh, differentiate ourselves with our primary care, care physicians, I guess I'd turn the question <laughs> back to you and, and ask you, as a primary care physician yourself, as somebody who, who's been in the trenches but also been in leadership positions, what do you think? Yeah, and that's obviously a longer conversation. We'll probably have more episodes uh, uh, about that very topic. But I think in the short term, I, what I would say is having the system choose me as a chief clinical officer, as a family doc in the system is really, first of all, telling, I think, of where the priorities are and where the the strategy is moving towards in terms of what, what we're trying to do. And so I, I don't take that for granted and what it, what it represents. I think in, concretely... It's just like the nursing problem, just like the tech problem and all the other workforce issues that it's complicated and multivariate and requires a lot of different solutions, whether it's how we think about compensation, scheduling, uh, support models, and even the economics that support those practices. All We need to reevaluate all of that, um, and we're well on our way to doing a lot of those things, but um, it is not a simple sort of, we'll fix this one thing, as you know. Yeah. Um, but I... I'm excited, actually, about what we're trying to build here and, you know, what the foundation we've got. I know as we close, Kevin, if you can um, maybe reflect a little bit on if you had a a couple of things or that you were maybe most proud of as a system, not about you personally, about the system um, in over these first four years as a system. Are there highlights or big high level things that you're most proud of? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it will be a surprise to anybody. Um, hands down, the, the, the thing that I am more proud of uh, than anything else is our people. Mm-hmm. And um, 
the way that we collectively and each uh, of us individually rose to the occasion uh, during the pandemic. And, um, you know, I'm going to tee off of something that you just said around primary care that you're excited. I share your excitement, not just about primary care, though, by the way. I share your excitement about the possibilities for the future. Um, I think that in times of challenge uh, and difficulty, as we said a few minutes ago, those are the times when you have the most opportunity to affect significant change. I have no question that Beth Israeli Health is as well positioned as any system in the country to uh, capitalize on that, to really not just uh, roll with the punches, so to speak, uh, not just react to, in the best possible way, the changes that are coming, but to be part of that change. And that's my goal. That's that's what I want to see. And that's what I know will happen is that I want us to lead the way right. and not be led. I have seen lots of s examples here, large and small, of doing that. Right. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on this first episode of the Healthcare 360 podcast. And for those listening, we'll continue to have episodes really trying to tackle the complexities of healthcare and, and try to get at least understanding, if not solutions, through conversation. So excited to have this first one with you, Kevin, and thanks for joining us today. And thank you for joining BILH. Yeah, absolutely. And if folks have thoughts and ideas for future episodes, feel free to leave comments. We're happy to take those on and try to address those issues as they come. And thank you for listening.